Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm going to start off, and I'll repeat this later for those who join us later. Remember, we do have the gear bags for the Upland Police Department. And for all of us who are here this morning, if you could take time and sign this card. It's a thank you card from us. And then we are going to give the gift bags on the 4th of July to the Upland Police Department. Um, You can still donate towards this if you... Go to thegenesisstory.com. There is a tab up on the top that says gear bags. If you click on that, you can give towards that because we could still use some money towards these things. We've already purchased everything, and Genesis has stepped in to cover a lot of that. But if you would like to contribute towards that, please go to thegenesisstory.com and uh, contribute. And for those of you who are here, please sign this card, and I'll share this again a little bit later. Anyway, it's good to be back with you guys. Um, As some of you know, I did have COVID. Uh, I am negative in my testing. I still have a little scratchy throat, but I shouldn't be able to give it to any of you here. I thought I was going to get by this without it, but nope, it got us, and I think it's getting everyone right about now. So uh, stay safe out there. But let's pray, and let's get started this morning. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to gather together. Lord, I do thank you for my health. I thank you for Corrine and her health and that we were able to get through this uh, without too much difficulty. And our hearts go out to those who have suffered from COVID in just very horrific ways, Lord. May we continue to do what we can to stay safe and concerned with one another Uh, reaching out to those who maybe are still living fearfully, those who are still uh, living in times where they are unable because of their immune systems to get out. May we extend ourselves to those around us where we can, how we can, Lord. May we be your church, your people, your body. And bless our time together here, Father. May it be helpful in our relationship with you and with one another. Grow us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thank you, Randy and Brian and everyone who covered last week for me while I was out. Didn't give you much notice, but great job. If you haven't listened, go back and listen to it. It was a great talk on love. Um, Remember, again, the gear bags for the Upland Police Department. Sign the card if you're here. Just saying thank you to the police officers. We are going to give the bags on 
uh, Monday, the 4th of July. We're going to take them there and give them to the police officers. The bags include things like chapstick, sunscreen, some granola bars, and some gift cards to local businesses. Again, trying to build community between the police officers and our community. And so if you can contribute towards that, you can either put money in the barrel. You can go to thegenesisstory.com, look for the gear bags tab, uh, click on that and donate towards that so that we can uh, cover those costs. Again, we've bought everything already. Uh, The bags are being put together. I think you guys are going to put them together today or tomorrow. And so uh, they will be handed out on Monday. So that's that. I don't know about any other announcements. Of course, continue to support us online. If you're not able to join us here, we appreciate it. Uh, And we do want to have a a get-together, like a potluck. Um, We've been talking about that. I know uh, Beth has offered to help with that. We'll talk to you about a time we've been planning to do this, but something keeps coming up, like COVID and, you know, I went to Ireland, and who knows what else will happen. But we do want to have that. I I say that because I want you guys to keep that in your mind so that when we do have a get-together, you can plan on being with us together. Um, I know right now a lot of people are getting COVID, so maybe wait till this dies down a little bit. Uh, But it's something that we desire to do, and we'll let you guys know as we get more information on that. Okay. Today, I'm going to be covering Genesis chapter 2 through 4, partway through 4. And if you guys want to, again, read ahead, that would be great. Next week, I plan on covering chapters 4 and 5 is the idea. And so because I'm not going like reading through these things because it would take so long, I encourage you to read ahead and then even get some questions, and maybe we can address those questions together afterwards as we talk together. Um, Remember, as we are looking back at the book of Genesis, we want to read it as much as we can with ancient eyes. We want to understand why was it written, to who was it written, at what time, for what purpose? And it's important that we maintain that attitude so that we don't get off on these tangents that really weren't something that they were thinking about at the time and is not connected to what the purpose of the book is. And we can do that very easily. About, gosh, it's been a couple of weeks now. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Corrine, um, about a conversation, she looks like, are you going to talk about me? Um, I was having a conversation with her about someone who I was talking to. And I was telling her about this conversation that I had and explaining, you know, some of my frustrations in the conversation. And she kind of stopped me and said, you know, you sound like a dad. Sounds like you used to talk to when you talked to your kids. And it was like this eye-opening moment of like, what are you talking about? And she gave me this whole different perspective that I didn't see. I didn't feel that. You know, I am a dad. I guess it, it comes out of me without me even thinking about it. I try to start fixing things. I start telling people what to do, I guess. And I just had this idea of, of presenting this in a way that I had not seen. But because of her conversation with me, it gave me a perspective that I was totally blind to. 
And, and I think it's important that we understand that different perspectives aren't a bad thing. In fact, they can illuminate us to a lot more. And when we get to Genesis chapter 2, I think we are going to see how that is so. Start with me in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. It starts with, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Verse 5, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden and in the east. And there he put the man who he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree with, with that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, after reading chapter 1, and I know there has been a week in between, but there, it almost seems like there's this deja vu going on. Didn't we talk about this? Why are we talking about it again? And why aren't the pieces fitting like they did in the first chapter? And not only that, why does it just feel different? Because there are some major differences. In chapter one, vegetation came on day three. And yet here we just read that man was there and then the vegetation came. Animals came on days five and six. Humans, male and female, were created together on day six. But here we have man created and then we have him later naming the animals. And then we have later Eve being taken out of his side as if he is already here and then she comes along later. And so we are having a different story in the chronology of it. Not only that, the language is different. The word that is used for God in chapter one is the word Elohim. The word that is used in chapter two is the word Yahweh. Chapter one has this feel of God is just lofty and he speaks and things happen. In chapter two, it's almost this human element where he is with his hands making man out of the, the ground and, and breathing life into him. Later, we're gonna see that he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It is just a different feel. And what do we do with this? You know, when Kareen pointed out to me my presence in a conversation. I got a little irritated, if I'm going to be truthful, because it's like, you weren't there. You don't know. Because I, I get defensive. And, and I think we do. Because whenever someone presents something to us, we have an opportunity to either receive this 
or to defend our position. And when I say something like what I just said about Genesis 1 and 2, there are a lot of people who feel that I'm attacking the Bible, but I'm actually trying to defend how it was written. And if we try to make the story what it's not, then what happens is we lose what it was. And I'm not trying to attack the Bible. I'm seeing holes in the chronology. I'm seeing things that don't fit if we try to make this the story of how man began, how humanity began. You've got a lot of issues that are going to come up. But if we take this as someone trying to help us see a perspective that was important to a people at that time, a lot of these issues, these problems that people try to answer, we find aren't even there. They're not problems at all. They only become problems when we try to make the scripture something it wasn't supposed to be. I don't think the writers were confused or sloppy with their editing skills. Oh, I forgot. We just said that, you know, man was created on the seventh day, but now we've got him here before the vegetation. Oh, my mistake. I don't think that was going on at all. And if we can get a glimpse as to what their intentions are, we won't have to fight to harmonize all these stories. And more importantly, we might see a bigger picture that's being told. So what is this picture? Before we talk about what happens in chapter three with the, the serpent and Adam and Eve, I want to jump ahead to get an idea of maybe the intention of the writers. And in chapter four, starting at verse two, we see now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry and his face fell. Now we know where this story goes. We know that Cain gets upset. The Lord says, hey, if you do what's right, won't you be accepted? Cain doesn't do what's right. He kills his brother. And we'll get into that a little bit more. A couple of things are happening here. How did Cain and Abel know what to bring to the Lord? They brought to him sacrifices that are found in the Levitical law, that of animals and that of a grain offering. And what we see as the difference, so it's not that, okay, Cain just brought fruit and Abel brought animals. Abel brought the first fruits, of his flock. Cain just brought an offering. In Leviticus, it's very distinct. It's supposed to be the first fruits of these things. How would they know that? Why would they know that? Remember, we are writing at a time after the law was written, after Israel had become a nation, after they had been taken into exile, after they had been brought back into the land and they are retelling this story so they could keep it for posterity's sake, remembering where we came from. And so we're gonna see these kinds of things show up like the clean and unclean animals going into the ark. How would they know? There was no Levitical law then because of when it was written. 
And it wasn't like, oh, we weren't supposed to say that because they're not supposed to know it was written. They knew that's what was being done. They knew a story is being told reflecting where they are now. They aren't trying to pull the wool over our eyes. They're not trying to cover something up and they're not trying to make something up except for they're telling a story of who they are. And in this story, Cain doesn't bring the first fruits. We know from the story after he kills his brother that he flees. He's a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain fears that someone is going to kill him if he meets them. And so he wanders to the land of Nod, which means wandering. And he finds a wife and builds a city. In Genesis chapter four, verse 17, it says, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And we already know the question that all the Sunday school kids will ask, where did Cain get his wife? Who was this group of people that Cain was afraid were going to kill him? And how do you build a city if you're alone? Right? If Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel, and Cain kills one of them. That's only three people. You wander off and there's a city that you build by yourself. Now, it'll say later in the chapter that Adam and Eve had more children, but did they all wander off to the city so he could build a city? Because it doesn't say that. But if we are trying to harmonize and say, well, this is the story of how humanity began, then we have to deal with these problems, and they are problems. There's the chronology problems of Genesis 1 and 2. There is the human problem of how do you get a whole city of people when there was only three people? How does he find a wife and then have enough people to build a city there? These kinds of questions, people jump through hoops to try and answer them, and they have always, even as I shared a couple of weeks ago, have always been those things where, okay, yeah, I'll try and dance around these things, but then they haunt me because that just doesn't make sense. Maybe there's a simpler explanation. Maybe there were already people living outside of the garden in a place where he wandered to. Maybe the story of Adam and Eve is about something else and not about how humanity got started. The Adam story maybe means something more to the Jewish community who it was written for. And maybe there are things we can see that correlate between who Adam is and who Israel is. Now, I'm not just making this up, okay? I'm not like, here's an idea. There have people who've been talking about this for centuries. Most of us just haven't heard about it because it's not in our sphere of learning. 
And so we listen to something like this and we're labeled heretics. Well, maybe you aren't, but maybe I am. And we're thinking, oh, look at that's not what it is. That's not what the Bible says. Well, they've been saying these things for a long time that's just not been in our area of learning. And so let's venture down this road and see if it doesn't make a little bit more sense, right? Adam is created outside the garden and he enters and he's given a command not to eat of one of the two trees in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. On the day he eats, he will die. Now, we know the story, he ate and he didn't die physically. So there has to be another meaning. Now, he was no longer allowed to eat of the tree of life, so he can't maintain that, I guess, immortality because he is kicked out of the garden. He is exiled and has to leave the garden. On one level, he dies, but on a lot of levels, he's going to eventually turn to dust, but not right then. In Ezekiel 37, there is a similar connection between exile and death. The story of the bones that are are laid waste, and it is because Israel has been exiled. And the picture is that of a nation that is dead because of exile. And God asks, can these bones be made made alive again? And he says, you know, Lord. And there's a similar picture. In exile, they have lost everything. Exile is more than just relocating, right? It's not just moving to Arizona, right? Which kind of is death, I think, in some ways, right? It's not just going somewhere else. They no longer have the land, which was paramount to who they were. They no longer had a temple. They no longer had a king who they were told was gonna have a king on the throne forever. Those things are gone. Exile is the death of all that they knew. Adam and Israel share the same fate. Adam was created by God and exiled from paradise for disobeying the command. Israel was created by God and exiled from Canaan for disobeying the law of Moses. Israel was created by God beginning with Abraham and then especially when delivered from the dust of slavery. God then took the Israelites to Mount Sinai, where through Moses, he gave them commands to follow him. He placed them in the land of Canaan, flowing with milk and honey, which meant it had the animals, the cows, and it had the agriculture. Honey is the nectar from fruit. It, it, was, it was their garden. It was their paradise. They lived in that abundance. In the ancient world, these things represented very similar to what the garden represents. Adam was created of the dust, Israel created out of slavery. Adam was placed in the garden of paradise, Israel placed in the paradise-like land. Adam was given a command to follow, Israel was given commands to follow of Moses. Adam, obedience, he would get life and live in the garden Israel, if they were obedient, they would possess the land. If Adam was disobedient, he would be exiled and die. Israel, if they were disobedient, they would be exiled, which we see in Ezekiel is like death. There are these correlations that are 
very, very similar. You obey God, you live. You disobey God, you die. See what happened to us. Here's a story of how it began. And it's the same story. And so instead of the story of Adam being how humanity began, it's really about how Israel began. Adam and Israel mirror each other, both created by God and given a plot of land to live in as long as they obeyed. So maybe the Adam story is not about humanity as much as it's about Israel's identity as a people created by God who now found themselves in exile trying to understand their story as the exile is over. If we have this understanding, we don't have the problem of where did Cain get his wife? Where did all these other people come? Why is there a difference between this story and that story? They are giving perspectives, trying to help us see a bigger picture. And we're making the picture smaller when we try to put it in our modernistic understanding of chronology, because that's not how they told stories. And just like last week, we saw that there were a lot of similarities or jabs at the Babylonians in their story. The Babylonian had a creation story where the gods were fighting and they killed each other. In their story, man is made into the image of God. There is no fighting. It's almost like, you Babylonians, you got it all wrong. This is how we see it. And they're presenting this story. And it's a story that takes root in humanity and grows. So then let's back up and let's get to this tree. What about this tree here? Most of us have learned the story in this way, that Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because of that, were cursed by God and not only them, but all humanity because of them. And so we inherited through our blood somehow the curse of Adam and have an Adamic nature that we all deal with today. And if you're like my kids, at some point you will hear the words, that's not fair. Why do we have to suffer for what they did all that time ago? And it might interest us to know that there have been and there is another story that has been told, again, centuries ago. But if we are not in that region and if we are not in that culture, we don't hear that. And that's of the Eastern Orthodox Church, where it's not so much of eating this and now you are sentenced to, to the death penalty because you ate of this fruit. It, it's more about you have not fallen from perfection, but failed to grow up in wisdom and maturity. Think of, I mean, think of this. Knowledge of good and evil. Isn't that a good thing? Why couldn't it have been the tree of war and killing, Right? or the tree of lust and greed? Why the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Aren't these things that Israel was supposed to learn? Aren't these things we want our kids to learn, to know the difference between good and evil? Knowing the difference between good and evil is probably the main point of the law in the Old Testament. Choose life so you might live. 
The law was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. It tells Israel what is good and what is evil. If they obey, things will be good and they stay in the land. If they disobey, they will be exiled from the land. And the book of Proverbs has a similar idea, but it describes it more poetically. It's a little different. To follow wisdom and flee from foolishness is to obey God's instruction, and it will lead to life. To follow foolishness leads to death. Right, so in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36, for whoever finds me, this is wisdom, finds life, and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Very similar. The thought is this. It's not that God didn't want Adam and Eve to know the difference between good and evil. It's that God wanted them to gain the knowledge God's way. So what's God's way? Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. See in Proverbs 3.18, she, wisdom, is a tree of life. Hmm. To those who lay hold of her, those who hold her fast are called blessed. It seems that wisdom and the tree of life are connected somehow. It's interesting. The word that's used to describe the serpent is crafty. The word that's used to describe a person with wisdom in Proverbs is shrewdness. It's the same word. One is crafty, like a used car salesman. You need that extended warranty and that undercarriage, whatever it does. And they know how to sell it. Shrewdness is different. It's not trying to sell you something. It's trying to navigate through something. The difference is how they are used and for what purpose. To understand good and evil, there is a process that begins with instruction, which is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is God's way. Without that, we are like the used car salesman trying to make the sale, trying to get the information. Something about doing things the wrong way can lead to problems. You know, my grandson, when he's at our house, we have a blow-up pool. And we blow up the pool and we fill it with water. And when he sees the pool and he sees the water, it's like, I'm going swimming. Off go the clothes, in goes the, the kid. He's like, I'm swimming, right? I don't have time to go get trunks. There's a pool, there's water, I'm going for it, right? And he just goes into that. As the years are going to progress, he's going to grow up and he's gonna develop modesty and he's gonna wear trunks. What would happen if he just all of a sudden went from a mentality of a four-year-old to a 14-year-old like that? found himself in the pool, and all of a sudden he's sinking like a 14-year-old. He'd be trying to find a fig leaf to hide, right? He'd be trying to cover himself. He'd probably scream, run of embarrassment, and go hide. Why? Because he became aware, but it didn't happen through the process of awareness. 
without the fear of the Lord, there is an absence of an awareness that is necessary. So it wasn't just about knowledge of good and evil. It was about understanding that God has a a way that transcends just the information that we are to step into an understanding. And this is one that it, it captures my attention because of how powerful and subtle these things are. When I was in Ireland, I had some new friends that I met. One guy I met, he has a podcast. He's from Australia, just a brilliant guy. He's like in Switzerland right now, climbing Alps or whatever they are in Switzerland. I mean, just doing all these amazing things. And he went through and he started asking people questions. He asked me a question. He asked me, would you describe yourself as a Christian or an atheist? Now, you guys know me, and I have been very open that I have a problem with the terminology Christian because of how it's used. And I've also shared here that I find myself in line with the idea of how atheists think a lot more than how Christians think in that they have this humility of understanding that I find lacking in a lot of Christendom. I feel like Christendom has become this modernization of certainty. We've got it all figured out. The chronology of Genesis. We know how everything happened. And we start finding there's holes in all these things. And you have atheists who say, I don't know about those things. If God does exist, I imagine he's more than I could understand. And I say, that sounds a lot more like what I see than what these people are who are saying they have it all figured out. Now, there's a lot of nuance in between. But there is a humility that I find. And when I hear the term, the fear of the Lord, it has within it this unfathomable awe and respect, an element of unknown. The fear of the Lord is this inability to access all that is necessary. And so there is reverence. And what's interesting to me is to think about a people who lived and knew less than we know. They didn't have telescopes. Most of them thought the world was flat. What they could see is what they understood. They had no way of going into the depths of the ocean and understanding how vast the universe and all creation is. Now we have telescopes. We have sent, you know, rovers to Mars that have sent back information. And we have an understanding of how vast the universe is and how deep and expansive the ocean is. Yet they had more awe with less information than we do with all our information. And I think that's telling. And I think it comes back to this idea, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of understanding. They were so connected to creation. I go to the store or I go to Jim's or Taco Bell and I buy my food and I go home and I eat it. They waited for the rain to bring the moisture to the ground, to work the ground so that it could grow the grass, to feed the cow, to plant the tree, to get the fruit, to eat the animal. There was a connection to all of it 
that they recognized was a dependency on. Information without the experience doesn't produce wisdom. Knowledge of good and evil without the fear of the Lord, which is you will not eat of this in this story, creates a dynamic that I find profound that I think we've lost, at least I've lost in so many ways. And so looking at this story of Adam and Eve and the tree of knowledge and good and evil, it's not that, oh man, you made a mistake, you chose this, and so now you're cursed and everyone's cursed and all humanity is cursed. I don't think it's talking about that I think it's talking about how the nation of Israel found themselves exiled, wondering what is going on. This is not how we saw this playing out. Maybe there is something we're missing. Maybe that obedience to God is more important than just having the kings, having the temple, having all these things that we had. Maybe we missed something. And telling it from this perspective allows us to see a whole lot more than just telling it like this. And I think this is a key for me in my life. Just like I had to listen to my wife. Had to. like that. Just because I chose to listen to my wife, I gained perspective. Because I saw something from a different way. I think Genesis 2 is telling us something from a different perspective so that we can understand more. Let's pray. Father, people have been reading and studying and meditating over these scriptures for thousands and thousands of years. And it has the ability to draw us in and to incite imagination and to provoke thinking. And Lord, I don't know what is the exact right interpretation. I I don't know that there is one right interpretation. I think there is a story that you're telling that captures each of our attention. And I pray we would allow it to do so and not restrict these stories in a way that restricts what is being told. And I pray that we would find inspiration, we would find motivation, and they would help us to be wise. And I do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May we be willing to see God from a perspective beyond our own. May it lead us to wisdom and understanding. God bless you guys. I'm going to stick around and talk, answer any questions you might have. I want to remind you guys, we're going to have this here at this table with some markers to sign and tell the police officers thank you. God bless you guys. We will be back next week.
You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.